you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I just want to begin by saying it's, I just look forward to being with you guys and being able to, to share with you what God has put on my heart and, and uh, just to be in this journey together. The great thing is that as a church, one of the things that we have ingrained to who we are is that we're not perfect and we haven't got it all figured out. And so as we've talked about these enemies of the heart, we can just be honest and say, you know, I struggle with some of those things. And, and I have some areas of my life where I'm just still dealing with the pain of my past or I'm still dealing with things in my present that are, that are keeping me from being who God wants me to be. And the great thing about what we wanted to build into our church was the fact that you could say that and it'd be okay. Because sometimes we've been a part of churches, you may have been a part of churches, I have been a part of churches where everybody came in and said, hey, you know what, everything is perfect in my life. And uh, I don't know about you, but I just don't fit there because everything's not perfect in my life. And so I want you to know it's okay for you not to be okay. It's okay for you not to have everything together. In fact, you're probably in the most friendly environment for that you may have been in your whole life. And so welcome to the mess. We're all in it together. But I, I say that because we've been walking through this this uh, sermon series of enemies of the heart, and we've been talking about some really tough issues. We've been talking about anger and guilt and jealousy and greed, and these are things that, honestly, I believe that everybody deals with, but not very many people are willing to be honest about. And so we've been honest, and we've we've put forth some things that have been tough to talk about, but the thing is that we have learned that God does not want us to live in that realm of our past. He doesn't want us to live in these things that have put us in bondage, but instead that God wants to set us free. In fact, if you remember back when we began this sermon series some five or six weeks ago, that we looked at a verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that says, above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. Let's say that together because I know you memorized it. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Great. You guys see, you didn't even know you memorized it and you did. Um, but see, we said that because from the center of who you are, your heart is where God wants to change you. He wants to make you into the person that you were created to be. Instead of living being uh, in bondage with the guilt of your past or being an angry person or being a jealous person or a greedy person. God doesn't want you to live in that realm, but instead he wants you to live in freedom. And so we said we have to guard our heart because there is an enemy out there, Satan, who wants to take your heart to a place that you don't need to be. We talked about a great verse in John chapter 8 that says, if the Son has set you free, then you are free what? Indeed that God has done a work in your life and in my life to set us free. And the thing is that for, for most of us, we don't know what to do with that freedom. We, we want to be free from our guilt. We want to be free from the jealousy in our life, the greed, the anger. We want to be free from all of that. But when we get our freedom, we really don't know what to do with that. And so this morning, I want us to talk about the fact of what we can do, that God wants us to do something with that freedom and how we make that happen. And I want you to know that it begins with being in a church that preaches God's Word, that teaches God's Word, and that loves one another. The thing I love about Sunday mornings 
is I get to see all my friends. I get to see people who I may not have met before, but have come to find out more about Connection Church, but more importantly, maybe to find out about Jesus. And we're in this journey together, and we're not perfect, and we haven't got it all figured out, but we're here together. And so I get excited about that because that environment is where I'm going to learn, where I'm going to be the person that God wants me to be. And I'm going to be with people who want to be in that same journey with me. And so this morning, you can look around and know that you're in a room full of friends. Just look at your neighbor and look and see if they look friendly. If they don't look friendly, then just kind of give them a pat, okay, and pray for them. But uh, seriously, I want you to know that we not only want to make this a friendly place, but this is a place where we want you to have friends, And we're going to talk about why that's important in just a minute. If you turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, uh, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, okay? If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seats in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home. We want you to keep that as our gift to you today. But in the book of Acts, Jesus has just been crucified, okay? The, The Gospels tell the story of how Jesus came to earth, that he died on a cross for the sins of the world that we talked about just a moment ago. They buried him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. The only person in all of history who has truly risen himself from the dead, Jesus did that. Now in Acts chapter 1, he showed up, and uh, he's, he's back on the scene, and he's going back to see some of his friends, some of the people that have been following him. And of course, we know that they really didn't grasp it all. And if you put into the picture of what was happening, you need to understand that the Messiah that they thought was coming, that the world thought was coming, that the religious community thought was coming, was going to be a conquering king. And so they thought that this Messiah would come and he would literally take over the world and it would become God's kingdom. And Jesus didn't come like that. Next week, we're going to start the story about Christmas, the real Christmas story. And we're going to talk talk about that Jesus didn't come in some big flash and bang. Instead, Jesus was born in a barn. Now, you can try to make that as pretty as possible, put a manger scene up in your house, but I want you to know there was poop on the floor, and there was a donkey next door, and it smelled bad, and if you're a mom, that's not the place you really want to have a baby. That's where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born. Why? Because God's plan is not usually our plan, is it? God had something else in mind, and he, he picked a young teenage girl who, for most of Jesus' life, most people believe that Mary got pregnant with Joseph before they got married, that something happened that shouldn't have happened, and so there was question there, and then Joseph was just a carpenter. And so Jesus was not, he didn't come on the scene like they thought he would come on the scene. They thought that he would come with great grandeur, they thought he would come with great power, that he would overtake the world, and Jesus was born in a barn, and he was, he was, uh, his mother was uh, a teenage mom, and his dad was a carpenter. But Jesus doesn't come the way we want him to come. He comes how he wants to come. And Jesus came and he, he came on the scene and then he said, I am the Messiah. And they thought, okay, when are you taking over the world? And he finally taught his disciples, hey, it's not going to happen like you guys thought it was going to happen. It's going to happen in a different way. But 
but they didn't, still didn't get it. Jesus was crucified on the cross. He was put into a, a tomb, and they thought at some point Jesus is going to do something different. But you got to understand, in the back of their mind, they had been taught their whole life that the Messiah would be this military conqueror. And so when their Messiah is on the cross, their hearts fell. They were disappointed. They didn't know what to do because they had had hope for all these months and years of following Jesus that at some point Jesus would come and he would take over the world. And now he's dead in a tomb. And then he did the unexpected and he got up out of that tomb. And now in Acts chapter 1, he's back on the scene and they want to know what's going to happen. They ask the question, Jesus... Uh, is now the time that you're going to be that military leader? Look in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So they're going back to that old mindset that Jesus is going to be the military leader. Look what he says. Verse 7, he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, another sermon we won't preach today, but anybody who tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, eh. You know, we could go there. We won't go there because that's a whole other sermon. If Jesus didn't know, then I don't think some guy from the northeast would know, northwest. Anyway, anyway, we won't go there. But he says, it's not for you to know. You're, you're not supposed to know. Only the Father knows when the end will come, when, when he will do what he's going to do. But then he says in verse 8, he gives them a mandate. He said, but you, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Here's what Jesus said. You don't need to know what is going to happen in the future. What you need to know is the gospel that you have heard. You need to tell the whole world. You see, in just this moment, in this book of Acts, what we are about to see a picture of is the New Testament church of which we are a descendant of. It's going to come to life. God's going to do amazing works to get this work started because what, was trying to, what the world was trying to do was squish out Jesus. They thought if we kill him, then all this will die away and we can go back to the way things were. And what happened was when they killed Jesus, he rose from the dead and these Christians, these people like Christ, little Christ, began to spring up everywhere and multiply and the church just exploded. And it was everywhere. They could not contain it. You know why? There's power in the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save the world. And Jesus said that gospel in verse 8 that you have heard, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And you need to tell your city, your county, your state, your nation, and your world. Why do we talk to some people in Madagascar today? Although you may never travel to, to that place, we as a church believe that the whole world needs to hear, not just the United States, not just South Dakota, not just Spearfish. You see, Jesus said that you'll receive your, the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. We'll get into just a little bit of theology. The Holy Spirit comes into your life at salvation, okay? He doesn't come and go. Catch this. Don't miss this. There are many people who teach that the Holy Spirit can come and go out of your life. I want you to know the Bible says that when you get Jesus in your heart, you get all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. It's whether you let him have control of your life or not, okay? He doesn't come and go with the wind. On a good day, he's there. On a bad day, he's gone. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is there all the time, okay? And Jesus said, 
The Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and then you are to tell that good news, you are to tell that gospel to the whole wide world. Acts chapter 2 is when the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus came. And he came in an amazing way. If you look in this story, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but it says that when the Holy Spirit came, that it shook the place, that, that the Holy Spirit came and amazing things began to happen. And one of, the, one of the leaders, Peter, begins to preach a sermon of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he began to tell of what Jesus had done. He began to tell of what God had done for the world. He began to tell that there was grace and hope and mercy for those who had been lost and struggling in the world. And now they could find a Savior, the Messiah, Jesus had come. And Peter told that story. And here's the amazing thing. We're going to catch the end of this. If you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says that as the people heard this, amazing things happened. Look, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard the gospel, God cut to the center of their heart. He cut through all the mess that they had been living through. All the enemies, all the anger, all the bitterness, all the sin, all the guilt, everything. He cut through all of that. And it says that, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for the children and for your children and for all who are afar off and everyone who, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, now if, if you're a preacher, you would love to be in a service where 3,000 people come to Christ because that means that it's not about the man, it's about the God, right? It's about the Jesus that showed up that day because 3,000 people heard the message of the gospel. They heard that Jesus came to save the sins of the world and it cut them to the heart and they gave their hearts to Jesus. They were begging, tell us what to do because the power of God was in that place. And so on that day, there were people who were set free from sin. There were people who were set free from guilt. There were people who were set free from anger. They were set free from greed. They were set free from jealousy. And what did they do with that freedom? Because I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes when I get set free, it's almost as if I don't know what to do with my freedom. I've been living my life in such a way for so long in the guilt of my past or in the anger of my present or anger of something that happened to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. And that anger has been driving me. And then when Jesus sets me free, John 8, 36, when the Son has set you free, you're free what? Indeed. And when Jesus has done that and you're free, it's almost like, I'm free, I'm free. And now I don't know what to do with my freedom. What does God want us to do? And so I didn't want to end this series by saying, hey, you can be free, but not tell you how to be free and what to do with that freedom. Look in verse 42. Because now there are 3,000 people who've come to Christ. They have just asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their life. And in verse 42, they do some very important things. It says, and they... Devo devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship 
and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the all and all came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. There are four things in verse 42 that I believe that they did that we should do as believers in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 42. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or to the study of God's word. As a church, we want to provide environments where you can study God's word. And that's not just on Sunday. I am glad you're here. I want you to come every Sunday that you can because we're, we believe this is a great place for you to learn about Jesus, for you to worship Jesus, for you to meet other people who need Jesus or maybe who are walking with Jesus. But I want you to know you need to do more than just Sunday morning. Anybody in here just eat one day a week? Why not? Because if you just ate one day a week, what would happen? Eventually you would die. You might lose some weight. I could probably stand a couple weeks of just eating once a week. Uh, Some of us are better at eating multiple times a day than others. Uh, But we eat multiple times a day because that's what our body needs. It needs to be fed. Why would you just spiritually eat one day a week? Why would you not eat every day? You see, God never intended for you to come to church on Sunday and get enough Jesus for the week. Praise the Lord, I got enough Jesus for the whole week. I'm ready to go. Whatever comes. And that's kind of how we look at it. God, I gave you your day. I'm off to do my thing. Every day, God wants you to get that spiritual food into your body so that you're strong enough to live and to serve the Jesus that you love. You see, the, the, the scripture says that we're supposed to hide God's word in our heart so that we may not sin. You see, in my life, I don't know about in yours, but I have to recite scripture at times to tell the devil where his place is. You see, the devil doesn't have power in your life if you're a believer in Jesus Christ unless you let him. And when he shows up, you have the power to tell him to go away. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I say in the name of Jesus, Satan, you don't have a place here. You got to go because I'm a child of the king. Okay? There's times in my life where I need those encouraging verses to know that God has a hope and a future for me. And I have to say that to myself verbally because there are days when I am down at the bottom and I feel like I have no hope. And I look up to the God who loves me and he says, I have a hope and a future for you. You see, I need spiritual food on a daily basis and so do you. And so we have to be in God's word. The second thing they did in verse 42 was they had fellowship. There's a word called koinonia in the Greek, and what it means is intimate fellowship. Now, guys, don't freak out because it doesn't mean that we're all going to hold hands and sing kumbaya around the campfire together, okay? What it does mean is that there is intimate fellowship, and it's more than just a high five and saying, hey, I'm glad you're here because at Connection Church, we do our best to try to make you feel welcome. We put people at the door. We have people who are out here trying to greet new people because we want you to feel welcome. But I want you to know there's a difference between being friendly and being my friend. And oftentimes, as a church, we may be a friendly church, but we want to provide an environment where you can find friends. Because you know what friends are? Friends are the people I call on Tuesday when my life's in the, in the dumps. 
Friends are the people that I call on Friday when I'm in trouble and I got to have somebody to help me. Friends are the ones who encourage me. And so we don't want you just to just be in a friendly environment. We want you to find friends. How do you do that? Through fellowship. Through fellowship. There's times that we create as a church where we want you to connect with other people. Tonight, we're going to have tables in here and we're going to be eating and we're going to talk about a meal in just a second. But we're, we're, the purpose is not really the food. Although the food is good, some of you guys cook some really amazing things. And, uh, you know, we're going to make sure that you get some of that if you come. But the thing is that we want you to connect with other people. We want you to find a friend. Why do we do small group Bible studies during the week? We want you to be in God's Word. That's important. But we also want you to be in God's Word in community with people who will be your friend. And so I want you to know, let me tell you something about your city. This city, Spearfish, Belfouche, Sturgis, wherever you live, it doesn't matter, is filled with lonely people, people who need friends people who need somebody who really cares about them. I don't know about you. I I have a wonderful family, extended family. Family has been a positive for me, okay? Some of you have family that you don't want to talk about because it's not a positive thing. There are people in our city who don't have family, and they need a church family like this. You know what family does for one another, what they're supposed to do for one another? They're supposed to love each other when they're down. They're supposed to help each other when they're in trouble. And so for many people, this is a place where they're going to find a friend, and this may be the only family that they have. That's what koinonia means. That's what that Greek word of fellowship means. It doesn't mean we're going to do something goofy. It means we're going to care about one another. And these people who found Christ, they said, you know what? We need to study God's word and we need to be in a journey with people who are like us. And we need to be bringing people, we're going to talk about this in a second, we need to be bringing other people into this journey with us. It's going to talk about at the end of this passage where God continued to add people to that group of people who became the New Testament church because when they found out what was going on, they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted the Jesus that was transforming their friend's life. The third thing is the breaking of bread. Now, we did that this morning. We remembered uh, Jesus by taking communion through the bread and the juice that we took to, to uh, remember what Christ did for us on the cross. And so it kind of has a double meaning. It means the communion or the Lord's Supper, but it also means just having a meal together. It says in this scripture that as they began this journey together, they would invite people over to their house. They would have a meal together because when you get invited to someone's house or when you have a meal at a restaurant with someone, there's an intimate time there where you're opening yourself up and it's just a relaxed environment. And there's something about sitting at the table with friends or family or people that you're trying to reach for Christ because you have an opportunity to invest yourself in them and them back in you. And they said it's important enough that they made it a part of what they did. They remembered what Jesus did through the taking of the Lord's Supper, but they also ate together, and they lived life together, and they supported one another. If you just come on Sunday, you're going to miss the koinonia, you're going to miss the fellowship, and you're going to miss the times when you can really invest in someone who is like you and has the same desires as you. And then the last thing they did in verse 42 was they had prayer together. 
and they believe. Now, wouldn't you have loved to have been in some of those prayer meetings? Wouldn't you have loved to have been in those places where these people who had been physically with Jesus, they had been in the same room, they saw Jesus as he gave, the, as he broke the bread, that they saw Jesus as he walked the streets and he did miracles and he healed people and he changed their life and he gave them freedom from their sin and set them on a path to salvation. Can you imagine being in the room with those kind of people who had literally seen and heard the voice of Jesus? As they prayed, they believed that Jesus could do amazing things. In fact, it says that when the Holy Spirit came, these people prayed, the Holy Spirit came into the room and it actually shook the foundation. I want you to know that it's my personal belief that as a church, as a church in America, we'll say it that way, as churches in America, we've gotten so afraid that if the foundation moves, that something bad might happen. Somebody might jump a pew, yell for Jesus and do something charismatic and crazy. And we can't have that. And so we're going to tie everything down and we're going to bolt it down and make sure that the foundation doesn't move. And church, what we need is to break loose the foundations and let God shake the foundations of our hearts because we're missing out on the best prayers. That's why a couple weeks ago we went through this we went through this sermon series of, of praying prayers that are, are big prayers and believing that we serve a big God and that he's able to do amazing and incredible things and that when we come to him, he actually has the power to stop the sun and to change our world. And I don't want that to be a sermon series in your life. I want it to be a life-changing understanding that you have the ear of the God who can stop the sun. These people, they prayed in that way and they prayed for the concerns of others. They prayed for the lost in their community. They, they prayed for the needs that were real in their lives and God did amazing things. In fact, look back at your passage in verse 40, 44 because it, it not only changed them, but it began to change the environment that they lived in. Look at verse 44. It says, and all who believed were together. Now, there, <laughs> I don't know how many churches you've been a part of, but I've not been a part of many churches that were all together, okay? In many different ways, they were not all together. But they were definitely not in agreement because, unfortunately, they took their focus off of Jesus and had it on other things. It says in verse 44 that all who believed were together and had all things in common. Then it doesn't mean that everybody agreed. It doesn't mean that everybody had the same political views. It doesn't mean that everybody had the same uh, desires. It doesn't mean that everybody had the same preferences. What it meant was these people saw that I need to keep Jesus at the center of my life. I need to keep Jesus at the center of who we are as a body of Christ. And what happens, unfortunately, is we let other things become the center and we miss out. And I want you to know a church that's in conflict is a church that has taken Jesus out of the center. And so as our church, I want to always guard that Jesus be kept at the center. Because if we ever become about anything else, we've totally missed it. If it's not about Jesus, then it's not worth fighting for. If it's not about Jesus, then it's not worth guarding. If it's not about Jesus, then we're missing the whole purpose of why we're here. Why do we come to, why, why are we in Spearfish? Why do we love our city? Why do we want to tell them the gospel? Because Jesus has done an amazing, incredible thing. They were all together and had all things in common because they realized that Jesus was the center. Verse 45, it says, it changed them, okay? 
It says that they began to sell their possessions and belongings and distribute to all who had need. You know, we just talked about greed, and the easiest way to fix greed is to do what? To give. And that's what they began to do. They began to say, you know what? My, my sister is in need. My brother in Christ is in need. My neighbor is in need. My friend is in need. And if I have the ability, I'm going to help them. It changed their, I, I guarantee you, there were some people who, who were greedy and they hadn't opened their wallet since 1974 and the cobwebs were coming out and the dust and, and you know, bats flew out because they, hadn't, they had left that money in there so long and they began to open their hearts. God began to change them and they began to be generous, not only with their finances, but with their help, with their talents, with their gifts. And they begin to take care of one another, kind of like a family should be taking care of one another because they had all things in common. They kept Jesus at the center and it says that they took care of one another. How'd you like to be a part of a church that had Jesus at the center and we took care of one another? And one another doesn't just stop with what happens within this room, but taking care of our city. How, how would you like to live in a city that didn't have needs because everybody took care of one another? It's kind of like a utopian thought, isn't it? It's almost unreal. I'm going to tell you it may be more real than you realize. It may be more possible because if we began to live with generous hearts and generous lives and we began to give not only from our wallet but from our heart and we began to live looking out for the needs of other people because it says that when this began to happen, that they couldn't stay away from each other. They were in a journey together. Look at verse 46. It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You think it's bad to come to church once a week. They went every day. <laughs> so uh, put that into your coffer, you know, whatever. And, and it, it's, it says not only did they go to church, but they enjoyed being together. But don't miss what happens in verse 47. It says that when they live that way, they live with generous hearts. Verse 46, 47, it says that they praised God and that God gave them favor with all the people. Here, listen to this. Instead of having the reputation of the church being a negative, the church became a positive. Because Jesus was at the center, they began to have generous hearts. They began to serve their neighbors and their friends and their city, and they gave them favor with all of the people. That means that their city looked at them and said, there's something in you that's real. There's something in you that has changed and you're not out to get something from me, but instead you want to bless me. How would you like to be a part of a church that not only blesses one another as family, but we bless our city and our region and our world for Christ? He says that he gave them favor. And then lastly, look at this. It says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Here's what I want you to know. When the gospel becomes real, don't miss this. When the gospel becomes real as a church, when Jesus is at the center of everything that we are, the world will come. The world will want to come and see what's going on. Hey, I know that person. I know what they used to be, and they're changed. They used to be stingy and mean and angry, and now they're loving and kind and generous. I don't know what they got, but I want some of that. I don't know what happened in their heart, but it's genuine. It's not just something. It's not some course they took. It's a life change. They look different. Their countenance has changed. Their heart has changed. 
Jesus said, God said in, in his word here, Acts chapter 2, it says that the Lord added to their number, people came to Christ. Here's what I want you to know. We could do the best evangelism program to tell the world. We could teach you how to share the gospel with your mouth, but I cannot teach you how to do it from your heart. You have to learn that. Because you can talk with your lips all you want, but until it comes from your heart, it will never make a difference in someone's life. What our city needs, what this Black Hills of South Dakota needs is a group of people who says, you know what? We're not going to live our way anymore. We're going to live for Jesus. We're going to keep him at the center. We're going to study God's word. We're going to pray. We're going to spend time together. I'm going to invite my friends and my enemies to come to my table, and we're going to eat together, and we're going to talk about Jesus because time is running out, and this world will not live forever, and I want them to have what I have. Please don't be selfish with the Jesus that has changed your life. Don't eat the bread and drink the cup and remember what Jesus has done for you and forget what he has done for the world. What God wants to do in your life, what God wants to do in my life, is he wants to give us freedom. Freedom in Christ means being on a journey together. In verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, God wants to set us free for a reason. God wants you to be free from these enemies of your heart, guilt and anger and greed and jealousy. But he wants to set you free so that you can know God. He wants to set you free so that you can serve God by loving your neighbor. He wants to set you free to fellowship with others and honor God through your life. He wants to set you free so that you can pray big prayers and see a big God step into your world and change things. He wants to set you free for a reason, not so he can put another tick mark on the board so that he can have another life being led by him. You see, you've been set free so that God might use you to reach your world. If you're waiting on Connection Church to reach your world, it's not going to happen. You have to reach your world. You have to be the Jesus in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood. The question I have for you this morning is this. What are you doing with your freedom? For some of you, these topics that we've talked about have been tough to talk about, but you have decided, I'm no longer going to live my life as an angry person about something that somebody did to me. I'm going to be set free. I'm no longer going to live with the guilt of my past. I'm no longer going to be that person who's greedy or jealous. I'm going to live my life in a different way. What are you going to do with that freedom? My challenge to you is this, to devote yourself to the study of God's word, to live in fellowship with other believers who are on the same journey, to bring other people to the table so that you're able to share the Christ that has changed your life and to pray those big prayers that God can move mountains with. Because when that happens, you're able to trade your guilt for Jesus. You're able to trade your anger for Jesus. You're able to trade your greed for Jesus. You're able to trade your jealousy for Jesus. You're able to trade that sin has beset you, that has tied you down and anchored you to the floor for so long. You can trade in those chains for grace and become a heralder of the gospel of Jesus and be able to breathe life 
instead of death. See what God wants in this city. It's my, it's my heartfelt passion and belief. Listen to this. What God wants in this city is a place that he can use for people to hear and to know the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. Don't be set free for nothing. Be set free to be used by a God that it wants to change the world. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. God wants to use you. You may say, Pastor, <laughs> you don't know me. God knows you. and He wants to use you. If you've never met Christ as your personal Savior, here's the great thing. The center of this church is Jesus. And so if I don't stop today and tell you about the cross, then I miss the center. Here's what Jesus said. Anybody who comes to the cross to ask forgiveness of their sin, I will forgive. Jesus said, anybody who wants to be forgiven of their past, I will cleanse it as if it never happened. And I will give you a hope and a future and heaven when you die and a purpose to live for. That's what Jesus wants to give. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, today is your day. And I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? With every head bowed, every eye closed, here's what I want you to know. If you need Jesus in your heart, the book of Romans says that God demonstrates his love for you and that while you are still a sinner, while you were still a sinner long before you were ever born, Christ died for you. And he wants to give you grace and mercy and forgiveness. You can pray a prayer just silently right where you are, just like this. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and my Savior. When you pray that prayer, God says that he will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will make you new. And he'll set you on a path and on a journey. And you're in a great place to be on that journey. Connection Church wants to walk alongside you. Hey, maybe you're in this room and you've accepted Christ a long time ago, but you've not been on the journey. You've kind of been standing still. Now's the time to pick up, begin your work, begin to eat that spiritual food, begin to study God's word and to, to be in fellowship with other believers and to pray that God will change your life. Heavenly Father, we come not as perfect people, but as broken people with scars and a history and a past some of which we don't want to talk about. Thank you for grace that forgives us. Thank you for the blood that covers us. And God, we pray today that you would use Connection Church. God, that we would be all of one accord and in agreement that Jesus is to be at the center of who we are. Lord, thank you for a place where we can learn more about you, where we can find a friend, where we can find family who loves Jesus loves us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving us a Savior to worship. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.